0: Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well staying home we're continuing our distinct nostalgia specials when we showcase something a bit different it might be a series of special interviews with a theme it could be a special documentary a delve into mim's big archive or it might be new drama or comedy this time it's a drama as we bring you richard vergette's as we forgive them starring the award-winning joe sims Joe, known for his parts in ITV dramas including Broadchurch and the real-life story The Lost Honour of Christopher Jeffries, in which he plays killer Vincent Tabak, has also played over a 100 different characters for radio because of his ear for accents. His other credits include Endeavour, Father Brown and Casualty. In As We Forgive Them, he plays an alleged killer in a thriller based in a US prison around the time of President Obama's first election in 2008. Hear this compelling drama and then listen to Richard and Joe talk about how it came about and its relevance now, afterwards. Oh, and watch out for the twist. You'll be gripped by this one. The following programme contains strong language. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. Made in Manchester and Dark Smile in association with Ensemble 52 present As We Forgive Them by Richard Vergette. Starring Richard Vergette as Congressman John Daniels and Joe Sims as Lee Fenton.
1: News headlines Friday, November 5th, 2008. Senator Obama's victory over his veteran Republican opponent, Senator McCain, was more emphatic than many had predicted, with Democrat gains in nine states and a majority of more than two to one electoral college votes. Few can argue that Obama's victory is one of the most significant results in presidential electoral history. <laughs>
2: I realise this must seem a little strange to you. I must admit to feeling rather nervous. Are you? Are you well? Is there anything you need? The procedure involved in entering this building is quite a rigmarole, and has eaten into our time, I'm afraid. However, we'll start presently. Would you like to start? I see you are making use of the paper I provided. May I see your work, Mr.
0: Fenton? <coughs> huh.
2: Male genitalia. <coughs> you follow following a long and distinguished line of life artist, Mr. Fenton. That's very creative. But I wonder. Can you uh, label your drawings? Provide written annotations to help explain them to us? Alas, you cannot. For advanced though your drawing undoubtedly is, you cannot write. Fuck you. Is that not so? You cannot write. Fuck you. I I was, I believe, telling you of the awkward nature of my arrival. The security checks involved in gaining admittance were both lengthy and thorough. But that is an understandable procedure. The notion that I might conceal a weapon about my person and attempt to kill you with it is, after all, perfectly feasible. Mr. Fenn, I assure you that I have not come here to murder you, however tempted I may be. I'm here for the purpose stated in court. I'm here to educate you. <laughs> yeah. The prospect of being educated is, I see, a source of amusement to you. Why, I wonder, should that be? Perhaps you have fond recollections of your school days, do you? No, of course you do not. Because you did not attend school for any length of time, did you, Mr.
3: Fenton? For Christ's sake, send me the fucking chair. There's something wrong with your chair? Said I want the chair, motherfucker.
0: (gasps) Oh,
2: I see. You wish to be sent to the electric chair? Yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 Mr. Fenton. That would not do at all. Uh, For one thing, in this state we have upgraded our form of barbarism to one of lethal injection. Would you believe as an alternative we may offer you the gas chamber? Never let it be said that the right wing in this country failed to learn the lessons of the Holocaust. And for another... It would take some years for the due process of law to reach its ultimate conclusion whilst you rotted on death row. If you had been sentenced to death, your lawyers would have sifted through the evidence trying to find mitigating reasons for saving you from execution. In your
3: case, probably mental retardation. I'm a fucking retard. Mental fucking retardation. That's that she's supposed to mean, huh? I'm also a lifelong
2: opponent of the death penalty, Mr. Fenton. As you know, and it would be an act of gross hypocrisy for me to insist on its implementation in your case. hey, Do not thank me, Mr. Fenton. Your life may be spared, but it is
3: certainly not your own. What the fuck are you talking about? Your life is mine now. Do you understand that? you fucking talking fucking shit, man. My life ain't yours. I ain't worth the shit anyway. So why don't you just... Turn around and walk out of here and leave me in peace, you asshole. You're in no position to issue
2: instructions, Mr. Fenton. And I asked you a question. I asked you if you understood that your life
3: is mine now. I told you to know it ain't... You look so cute though, don't you, huh? So fucking sure of yourself? Or look so fucking smug as his and up your ass? Oh,
2: no, Mr. Fenton. If I press this button here, two guards will come into this room and they will remove you. <sighs> exactly what happens after that, I'm not entirely sure. You are not a popular man in this penitentiary. And I cannot assure your safety if you cannot assure mine. I will make a deal with you, Mr. Fenton. I will try to refrain from saying anything that might cause you undue aggravation. In return, you will not get up from that chair. Do you understand? Do you understand, Mr. Fenton? Yeah! Yeah! The reason why your life is not your own is not something that should cause you undue anxiety. After all, when your life was your own, it is beyond doubt that it was a wasted life. You are still a young man, and yet you have been arraigned and imprisoned no fewer than four times for theft, arson, sexual assault. In short, Mr. Fenton, you are what may be regarded as disposable humanity, Mr. Finn, do you
3: watch movies? <laughs> you trying to date me now. Do you know the movie? It's a wonderful life. Fucking night. Jimmy Stewart is my mom's favorite.
0: What?
3: Well then you know the story, don't you?
2: You know the story of how Jimmy Stewart in desperation tells his guardian angel that he wishes that he'd never been born. And so the angel I'll forget his name shows him the town in which he has He's lived all his life as it would have been if he'd never been born. The town is unrecognisable, corrupt, debauched because he was not there to help. The man realises his worth and runs to his home crying, I want to live, I want to live. Heartwarming, life-affirming, is it not? And you, if you had never been born, what would the differences to this town and its people be? Several car owners might still be car owners. Several young women would not have needed medical treatment and counseling after the savage sexual assaults you made on them. Your own mother may not have died cold and hungry after you cleaned out her bank account and then refused to help her when she could no longer pay her rent.
3: And my daughter would still be alive. Clarence. Excuse me? The angel's name was Clarence. just so, Mr. Fenton,
2: just so, you do remember. I must start our first lesson with an apology. I fear you may find these beginners reading books rather patronising, Mr. Fenton. I hope you understand that it is not my intention and that I am trying to help you.
4: We'll Be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on it, it only takes structure and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, I man.
1: so do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you know, mean?
5: Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm, y'all trying, already? Yeah,
1: I'm yeah. trying, yeah, I'm
3: trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah.
0: We
1: all artists, man. We go you feel me? We're gonna have this like bro, Me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play we play with this <laughs> shit, play with shit. I gonna lie, we play with this shit right now for a for real. Oh, I gonna lie. Don't like. play with it. Play with
5: it. No. Take that shit serious. What's this shit?
3: What the fuck you
5: doing, man? I ain't hurt you
2: or nothing. No, Mr. Fenton, but you are annoying me. Would you kindly pick those books up, please? Thank you. And would you now take the first of those books and open it at the first page? There's some Doctor's use in there, always a favourite with our family. Would you open the first page, Mr. Fenton? Can you uh, read anything that is on that page?
3: Ah, poor.
2: Then you can read, Mr. Fenton. There's a fucking picture, you jerk. Of course. uh, How foolish of me to overlook something so fundamental. All right? Write the word. What? Write the word apple, if you please. (laughs) What?
3: I'm sorry, Mr. Fenton. Why the fuck are you doing this? Don't make no sense to me. I'm here because I got murdered one for Christ's sake. you hear what? And fucking educate me? Would you me. pick up the pen please? No. Just go ahead and press your fucking button. I don't care whether all them boys come from behind that plate glass window and kick my fucking ass. Go ahead. Press your button. Fuck you,
2: I'll do it. All I'm asking you for is a little of your time. I
3: just want to talk to you. All you do is talk to me. None of it makes no fucking sense. To well, me. then
2: I need to be clearer with you, Mr. Fenton. You may recall that I intervened on your behalf and persuaded the judge to commute your sentence from death to one of life imprisonment, but that I did so on one binding condition. That condition is that I educate you. Of course. Most people think that I'm mad, and my wife is. uncertain. But, Mr. Fenton, a central plank of your defense team's case was your appalling upbringing. They referred to your own father's hostile treatment. My fucking
3: daddy out of it.
2: Just as you wish, Mr. Fenton. But they made the case that you, in part, are a victim, too. Now, until recently, I was not a victim. I was born with undoubted advantages. I'm from a very wealthy family, but one that knows the relationship between privilege and responsibility. When our nation called, we served. My grandfather served in Roosevelt's administration during the war, and my father was a congressman during the time of Jack Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. Now I, by the grace of God, have been elected to Congress. And have the opportunity to serve the most progressive president in our nation's history. You. We live in such times. Even for a man like you. If our world is truly to change, then even you will not be left behind. I will prove to you what forgiveness means. I will educate you. And you will learn. You want to talk about the audacity of
3: hope? You, Mr. Finn. We'll come to exemplify it. You can't teach me nothing. I went to that school. You know I went. I ain't true. I never went. They said to me, "Sit at the back, Lee. Don't make no noise, Lee. Stop talking, Lee. Get out of class, Lee. You, you're a disruptive influence." I never learned to read nor write, cause no one ever taught me nothing like that, Mama. The poor lady I drove to an early grave. she never taught me nothing. She and my daddy always fighting and drinking. Shut the fuck up, Lee. Play outside, Lee. Go to the grocery store, Lee. Almost oh, hit me because I'm too slow. Well, one day I hit the old man back and I whooped him good, too you can't tell me that was wrong, cause all he ever did was hit me and shout at me the fucking asshole. So you can talk about your daddy and your granddaddy with fucking pride. But you can't talk about mine cause you ain't got the right, my daddy was a fucking asshole. And I never went home after that. I slept rough. And with any pussy I could pull. I don't fucking know. You want me to be sorry and I tell you, Mr. Daniels, I know. I should be sorry, but all I am is fucking angry, and when I beat folk and I burn down buildings, somehow that, that makes me feel a little less angry, so I guess I'm in the right place, huh? But you know something? It's all right in here, because we get three square meals a day and a bed for that. night, and you know something else? I need to go now. We get fries today. I won't be left with no fries because someone else took my share, you know what I mean? Can't teach me nothing. Don't even try. Write that letter. Write the letter A,
2: and you'll get all the fries you want. Every day. For a week, I can arrange it. You are one weird
3: fuck, you know that? The letter A. If you please, Mr. Fenton. I get fries every day this week. And ice cream. (laughs) There.
2: That is recognizably the letter A. Thank you, sir. (sighs)
1: While she undoubtedly appealed to the grassroots Republican supporters, there was little she could do to persuade wavering voters to turn out in her favor. Although plans for health care reform are still a major challenge for the president, voters seem to prefer to give him a chance to see through the policy initiatives of his first administration. This is the breaking news on Friday, November 2nd, 2012.
3: He's ranting and screaming behind us. Good. Very good. Can I take a break now? But
2: We'll discuss the text just briefly, if you don't mind. Alright. You enjoying it? Sure, it's alright. Well, what do you most like
3: about it? I don't know. Murphy's pretty cool. <laughs> well, what's cool about it? Like the way he stands up, that fat old nurse. <laughs> yes. Now what about the nurse? It's like she's some kind of weird control freak, you know?
2: Why do you think her desire for control is uh, freakish? (laughs) I don't know. Well, is it freakish or is she just doing her job? No, it's more mad else she wouldn't get so mad at Kat. True. She takes authority to levels of mania. I would agree with that. So where's the irony there? Irony? I don't know. Come on, where are they? In a nuthouse. Where? In a state mental institution. I look at that last sentence again where's the
3: irony? That mm, they're, they're there in an asylum, but it's like they're saying it's the nurse who's going crazy at him watching his blanked-out TV set.
2: Yes. It's the suggestion that it should be strange to look into an asylum and, and see madness there. Well, that's the irony. And as you suggest, it's the nurse, the controller. Desperate to assert her power, who is... Going shit ...exhibiting the greater madness is the phrase I would have used. All right. Whatever. Well, it's excellent work. Here, I have something for you. Oh, Hershey bar. Cool. Now, what about this afternoon? Are you prepared for it? I guess so. Did you do any more work on your speech? So. You won't hear it? Yes, please. Just the section you've worked on...
3: I have done wrong. I know that I have done wrong. And there's nothing I can do to right that wrong. But I can learn. And others can learn from me too. It's never too late to improve yourself. With God's help, we can move mountains. Even if those mountains are inside ourselves. Lay within ourselves. What? See... Lay within
2: ourselves. It sounds a little... Better? It finishes off your metaphor a little more
3: lyrically. <laughs> yeah, right. Lyrically. Whatever. We'll just write it down. Lay. Within. Our. Selves. The prison bars will always be there, and I cannot argue with the reasons why. But I know through learning, I've learned to free a part of myself. And even a life like mine can be a useful one. And if y'all don't agree with that, you can just kiss my hand I'm not going to say that. Don't worry. Well, good. Well, apart from that, I think that sounds very good. Well, if you're alright with it, then I guess I'm down.
2: Now, you sure you're alright to do this? I guess so. Why not? I've made it clear that you're not taking any
3: questions. I'll deal with those. I can ask you questions that they won't. I don't mind.
2: Well, the likelihood is they'll want to ask me the questions. Why's that? There's been an announcement from the White House this morning.
3: Yeah, What announcement.
2: Well, never mind about that now. We need to think about you and this press conference. I'm going to say a few words, and the warden will say a few words. Asshole. Yes, I know he is, but we have to have his support. Oh, we hear that, boys? He thinks Stephen's an asshole, too. Should not have said anything. Anyhow, after the warden speaks, uh, you say a few words. What you prepared. Okay, but no questions. The journalists that are out there, some of them still advocate the death penalty, and therefore they don't think that money should be spent on education programs for capital offenders. That's so. And then there's a lot of controversy over the facilities that are enjoyed by prisoners these days. Senator O'Brien, for example, recently likened this particular penitentiary
3: to an amusement park. What, like Disneyland or something? Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> okay, you can ask that cocksucker if he wants to jump on my Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I most certainly will not do that, Lee. I mean, if it's so great, why don't you come and stay a spell? Enjoy the facilities. Cold fucking food. Even his ugly ass will be safe being over in the showers. You tell that motherfucker for me... Lee, this
2: I- is exactly what I mean. Now, I don't want you to get angry if you hear a question you don't like. I'll handle that. Mm, You're scared I'll fuck
3: up. Oh, mess up. You might profane, like just now. So why's this announcement then? Excuse me? What announcement from the White House?
2: Well, Lee, you will be aware that uh, following his re-election, the president is now putting together his second administration.
3: What's that mean? Uh, He is
2: choosing the people he wants to work in his government.
3: All right, and he's giving
2: you a job? He has asked me to be his secretary for education. Are you going to do it? Oh, yes, Lee. When your president asks you to serve, you don't turn him down.
3: Is the pay good? I don't know. You know something? I really don't know. <laughs> Hell, Mr. Daniels, I don't want to tell you about the do or nothing, but that's the kind of thing you need to square away with your boss before you take a job. <laughs> I don't think you're missing the point, Lee. Do you realize what this means? Yes, it means you're going to be in Washington
2: more often. Oh, right? yes, but that will not interfere with our program here. Uh, in fact, I have discussed with the president only this week the work we have done here. Uh, what started as a uh, an experiment... Experiment? ...has struck such a chord with the president that I have been charged with implementing it as national policy. An experiment? But to educate the prison population, Lee. And uh, not just in carpentry and automobile maintenance, but in literature... And philosophy. Believing that anyone is capable of change
3: through improvement of the mind. I don't get it. Well, I am trying to explain, Lee. Yeah, but I didn't realize I was part of some experiment. You never said nothing about no experiment. I thought you started all this to make Laura's death mean something. And prove that shit like me can learn something. That's why you said... But Lee, I have never referred to you as shit. I don't mean that. I mean, I never thought it was all about your career. I beg your pardon. How long has it been about climbing that greasy old pole, huh? Lee, don't you dare think that I started all of this out of political ambitions. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Daniels, I do think that. I thought you started all this to prove you wouldn't get beaten down. I remember you saying that to me. And to show you that there is such a thing as
2: redemption. To show you
3: that you are educable and have potential. Show me! Show me Mr. Daniels? I think you're done showing me my potential. Now you wanna show the whole world show me your potential too. It's the great educator. Just profiles of you in every newspaper. Why is it everyone says Mr. Daniels is such a good man? Why? He went and forgave that son of a bitch for murdering his daughter. Now he even goes and educates him as well.
2: Well maybe they're right.
3: Did you ever think of that? I have given you a life meaning. Sure has. I was under you gotta no be a big shot to go with That's your life, my life from it. Let me ask question, you a question, Mr. Daniels. Let me ask you a question. Why do you have the idea of educating low-life pieces of shit like me before Laura was murdered, huh? Huh? I did. Bullshit. I did.
2: It's a matter of record that I spoke out about the lack of educational provision in
3: prison. Speaking out, yeah. You do a lot of speaking out. I don't be standing on some stage somewhere in a hall speaking out. I mean fucking doing something, man. Campaigning like your life depended on it. I mean, Mr. Daniels, you've been like a dog with a bone with this one fucking paid off. you got the top job, brother. Oh, no. Not the top job, though, huh? What
2: on earth are you talking about? Mr.
3: President Daniels.
2: That's enough. You've been thinking
3: about it, though, haven't
2: you? God almighty. If I have a little ambition, is it such a crime? Good things come out of ambition, Mr. Fenton. Did you ever think about that? Did anybody bleat about Roosevelt's ambition when he conceived of the New Deal? Or Jimmy Carter's when he broke at a peace deal between Israel and Egypt? To place yourself in the center of a dream doesn't make it a bad one. And this dream, my dream, in whatever depths of despair it may have been born, has become the start of something real, something great.
3: That's impressive speech, fine, Mr. Daniels, but it cuts no ice with me. Damn it! I don't have to take your insolence. Yes, so. If it strikes me this has got nothing to do with you being a grieving father no more.
2: It has everything to do with it. Can't you see that? I have to do something. Make something work out of all this, horror. I think of her every day, her room is still the same, we haven't changed it, I smell her perfume in the hall, I hear her car come up the drive, I see her face in a crowd when I address a meeting, I can't sit still, stand and reflect, I can't allow myself the time to pause, My wife, she, she drinks. She is not a woman born for adversity. I cannot help her. You see what you have done, Lee? But if I can forgive you, if I can make something
3: of your life, then there is hope. Have you? Have you forgiven me, Mr. Daniels? Yes. I have forgiven you.
2: You didn't know who she was. Just another random street crime. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time, going out for cigarettes. Terrible habit. But in forgiving you, you are not excused your crime. You must understand that. And you must pay for it. We're ready.
3: Are you ready, Lee? What if I go out there and tell them all go fuck themselves? It would make great television, wouldn't it? (laughs) Bitch, your ass.
2: Come on. Let's go.
1: With the act of Congress that effectively removed sections of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, Governor Schwarzenegger was able to declare his intention to stand and from the outset seize the initiative of this election. So the first African-American president will give way to the first non-national president. Historic news indeed on Friday, November 4th, 2016.
2: Congratulations. How do you feel? Stupid. That's not what you're supposed to feel on your graduation. Wearing are no stupid robes and that stupid hat. Mortar board. What? It's called a mortarboard. Nice speech, by the way. Thank you for the mention.
3: Sure. Hope I didn't embarrass you. No, no. Not at all. So, we gonna do any reading today or whatever? No.
2: No, not today. You've worked hard. Mr. Dales. you seem a little pissed. I think you mean dejectedly. I know what I mean, Miss Thames. Is it the election? Well, I suppose it is, to some extent. You don't like him? Well, we don't have a great history of old actors becoming presidently. So you're going to track me in in four years? No. No, I-, I shall retire from public life. I've had enough. I'm sorry you
3: feel that way, Mr. Thames. Well, I'll say goodbye then. Hey. Is there anything you want me to prepare for next time? Next time? I don't understand. Sure, next class.
2: There is no next class. Did you miss it, Lee? You just graduated. That don't mean we have to stop class, though, does it? You can go on reading, Lee. You can go on studying, of course. But my work is done here.
3: Oh, Mr. Daniels, will you Visit? Visit. Why would I do that? You're not coming back.
2: That's right, Lee. I'm leaving today for the last time. And with a great sense of relief, I can tell you. So that's that then? Yes. That's that.
3: (laughs) You're one fucking asshole, no mistake. Why so? Now you ain't no big shot in Washington no more? You're like, fuck you asshole, and you're out of here?
2: Not that simple.
3: Yeah. That simple. Whatever you might
2: think. I did not undertake your education in order to make myself look
3: noble to the voting public. That's bullshit, man. You do not even take a piss and there's some guys in there with you with a camera.
2: When you were first sentenced here, your only concern was whether you were getting fries and ice cream to eat. You functioned like an animal, with no sensibilities and only the most gratuitous opinions. Incarceration was no punishment to a mind such as yours. It was no worse than for a dog to be shut in a kennel or a pig in a sty. Well Where's the suffering in that? But now, now you are a sentient being. You feel more and think more. And I know you do, Lee. So you reckon I got a conscience now? Huh? Well, I can't know that for sure. But I do know that you understand the awfulness of your crime. And that you have the rest of your life. Perhaps another 50 years to contemplate it. You have that understanding, Lee. Isn't that so?
3: Yeah, Mr. Daniels. I guess that I got that understanding now.
2: Well, I'm glad that you do. Hmm.
3: So you didn't forgive me then, huh? Forgive you? Why would I do that? I don't know. As we forgive them the trespass against us. Ain't that so? Well, that is so, Lee. And God knows I've tried.
2: But no. To kill the most precious thing in the world to me for a pack of cigarettes and a $10 bill. 19 years old. No.
3: No, I can't forgive that. Well, you wanna know something else, Mr. Dales? I just ain't sure I'm that sorry. Well, you have a long time to think it over. Hey, just one more thing before you go. What's that? I didn't do it. What? I didn't kill your daughter. See, the thing is, Mr. Thales, the video evidence showed Laura staggering in the scope of that CCTV camera, and me following her holding a gun, but I am pulling no trigger. Goodbye, Mr. Fenton. Hmm. I knew who Laura was way out there. Nonsense. It's true. Everyone knew who Laura was. She was a wild child, Mr. Daniels. You have no right to speak of Laura in this way. I'm too life in prison for her. I think I got a right. So this one night, I'm in that sleazy old bar on Manis, and I'm shooting pool with Mad Dano. She comes in with a boyfriend. They're having some kind of fight, then he leaves. But she stays. she orders drinks for everyone. She don't do what I call Happy drinking, Mr. Daniels. No, she drinks heavy, like my mom used to drink. Anyway, she's flirting with some of these guys at the bar. And then I was like, I want some of that. And I figured, why not? I'm putting it around. She did not put it around. She did know why she was locked, Mr. Daniels. You ain't doing her no favors by pretending that one was a saint. So... Dano goes up to her, starts to get all friendly. She pushes him away, shooks at both of us and she says, Go fuck yourself, asshole. I got nothing for you. But she gone. Staggers outside. Daniel's mad all hell. He turns to me and says, Let's mug the bitch. I'm like, alright. She got a few dollars on and sure, let's do it. So it's like 2 a.m. There's no one around. Dano calls after her. Hey, bitch. He takes out his gun. I didn't know he had it. She turns around. She sees the gun she seems kind of scared but still still full of attitudes and vodka into, into your, your bag, bag, bitch. bitch. Fuck, Fuck you, <laughs> she said. She carries on walking. I don't I mean it, said Dano. She just turns back around. Looks him in the eye, gives him a one finger salute, and carries on walking. Sedano shot her right in the fucking back. He threw the gun up in the air. Instinct, I guess, I just caught it and he's away. Lawrence flung forward the force of the shot. I go over and didn't know what to do. Anyway, when I got there, she's dead. There's not much I could do, so I took what was in her bag and off I went. Didn't realize CCTV had caught me with no gun, though. How long did it take you to come cop? <laughs> to tell you the truth, Mr. Dales, I couldn't give a fuck too much what you believe. Because I knew then there was no point in my saying what really happened. There was no witnesses. People in the bar saw us both leave, both at previous, and I don't care what happened to me. Why the fuck should I? In here, out there, it's the same old shit. At least this way, I got a roof over my head. Ain't no freedom where I come from. And that old, that old gone. He got shot by police doing a bank job up in Denver, stupid asshole. Like I said, I don't care what you believe. Believe it, don't believe it. I ain't gonna change anything anyhow.
2: If what you say is true, why didn't you say anything before? I could have helped
3: you. You could have trusted me. Trust you, Mr. Thales? Now why the fuck would I do something like that, you think? You sat in that courtroom and you didn't question anything. Did it ever occur to you, even once, that I might not have been guilty? Why should I? You never denied it. Because I didn't think it was worth the fuck to defend myself. what does that say about you and your kind? My kind?
2: I've worked hard, Mr. Fenton. Campaigned tirelessly and selflessly for the underdog. My life has been about service and duty. What about yours? I'm
3: one of your dogs, Mr. Daniels. Look where your campaigning got me. You
2: can't blame me. Some people are beyond reach. You brought misery into every life you
3: came into contact with. But I'm not beyond reach, am I, Mr. Daniels? I graduated today. Maybe you're right. Maybe I do think about things. Things I've done. And it makes me wonder what if. But now you can wonder what if, too. Wonder what, Lee? What if you educated me before I turned bad?
2: Plenty of people start with disadvantages, Lee. They don't all make the choices you
3: did. I'm doing life in prison for a crime I didn't commit, and you think I'm in the best place then?
2: If, if. You're telling the truth.
3: Then I will get you out of here. Hmm. But am I, Mr. Bales? Am I telling the truth?
2: What? You mean what you just told me? Yeah,
3: that could be the truth.
2: (laughs) Could be? Are you my daughter's killer or not? Well
3: now, Mr. Bales. That. It's the burning question, is it not? But you wanna play mindfuck with me. Now you got yourself a game. Hey, Mr. Daniels. Say it's you, running down these streets just like a Jimmy fucking Stuart. And your guardian angel shows you what it all might look like if you've never been born. Does it look any different, Mr. Daniels? Doesn't.
0: As We Forgive Them was written by Richard Vergette and starred Joe Sims as Lee Fenton and Richard Vergette as Congressman John Daniels. Andy Pearson played the newsreader. The music was composed by the Deadheads. As We Forgive Them was directed by Mike Heath and Andy Pearson. It was produced by Ian McNess and Ashley Byrne.
2: I'm Richard Vergette. I'm the writer of As We Forgive Them... And
4: I also play the role of Congressman Daniels. Fabulous. That's great. That's fantastic. So give us a bit of background to As We Forgive Them. Where did it start? Where did it start in your mind? Where did it all begin? It's all such a long time ago now. Um,
2: I was a teacher for a very long time. And during the period of time that I was a teacher, I sometimes felt that... um, the the students who struggled with mental health and struggled with anxiety a great deal were some of the most gifted and some of the most uh, aware and intellectually vigorous students um, i'm not saying that, that 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 to be intelligent is a curse i'm you know not being crass about it but it did strike me that sometimes those who became the most troubled and those who kind of questioned their education a great deal were the ones that, in many ways, thrived in the system, and I began to think about the idea of education being used in a sense as a punishment. And this story began to emerge in my own mind about a congressman who, or a politician rather, who decides to uh, educate his daughter's killer, but does it in such a way, uh, does it in such a way as to attempt to bring that killer to a level of awareness so that he understands the enormity of his crime. Um, In other words, the purpose of Daniel's educating Fenton is to give him a conscience. That idea was brewing for some time and I... uh, Sorry, that's the clock going off in the background. Um, And I had the idea... Uh, originally that it was going to start at the presidency of Bill Clinton in 1992 and then finish in, in the year 2000. But then during the campaign of, of, um, of, uh, of 2008, one of the things that struck me was Obama's eloquence, his, his incredible eloquence. But also I wondered how people would necessarily connect with that, with this incredible eloquence. Would that eloquence connect with ordinary people? Would it connect with the Fentons of this world? Because for all his eloquence, I I could never quite understand what phrases like the audacity of hope meant in practical terms. So it seemed to me that, that this was a gift that this was a gift this this particular campaign because then you know in in a way the play sort of emulates that particularly in the first scene you have a character of enormous eloquence and a character who is barely communicable in the English language um you've got that kind of that 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 contrast which is which was lovely to be able to work with as a writer It, it
4: gave me such scope it really did so that's that's kind of where it came from I suppose And it ended up being, I mean, all pieces evolve, don't they? But when it ended up on stage and uh, in radio, which we're going to, listeners are going to be able to hear uh, on uh, Distinct, um, it became a very powerful piece. I mean, a lot of that is also down to those of you who were acting in it and playing it. But, I mean, it was tremendously powerful and has lots of, twists and turns and surprises along the way. I mean, it, 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 you know, I, I've listened to it many, many times and there are little things that I notice that I won't have noticed before, you know what I mean? There's lots of little, little intricacies there. Tell us a bit about that and how it evolved and, you know, how you cast it, I suppose. You know, obviously we're going to talk to Joe, um, but getting that right must have been really important.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to write a play for the 24-7 Theatre Festival, which was a brilliant uh, platform for new writers and new writing in Manchester. Uh, And and sadly, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. But for a few years, it was a wonderful platform. And I'd taken part in it in 2007 and had resolved that I really wanted to have another go I wanted to get something there again. And so As We Forgive Them was written for 24-7 in 2009. And um, the way that it evolved really is that, you know, when when you submitted a piece, you submitted it in, I think it was January. And then you found out in about March, April, uh, if you had been successful. Now, what what i always sort of feel is very very important for any for any writer is that what, you know that the play is going to be put on and that's great but what you mustn't do is stop the work there and i think if if i if i got anything right at all i got two things right it was that i i went back over it and um and i and i did rewrite Quite a lot of it with um, dram- dramaturgical support from Andy Pearson, the director, and um, and actually some of those twists, the final twist, uh, which I'm not going to say what it is, um, that one didn't actually come out until the rewrite, really shortly before the before the festival itself. And uh, then, in terms of the casting, um, I put out a cheeky advertisement on Casting Corp. You know, the traditional, I can't pay anybody, you know, I'm not getting paid myself, but hopefully it'll be a, a rewarding experience. And um, uh, And I interviewed, I auditioned, I think, about a dozen young men in Manchester and London. But as soon as I met Joe, I really sort of felt in my gut, this is the guy I want to play this. Joe is an extraordinary actor. Not only is he the, probably the best mimic I've ever come across, he can do any sort of accent you you ask him to do. He also has this transformative power to make himself go he he he, he can in the blink of an eye look um unbelievably threatening and he can move from he's uh he's one of those actors that can can combine looking threatening and looking vulnerable at the same time i was thinking i I was um watching another actor called kevin doyle who is vastly different from from joe but he has that same quality he can be threatening and vulnerable at the same time there's not many people who can pull that off and uh and and joe encapsulated that and you're absolutely right a lot of the success of of, of of the play was down to his performance, and a lot of people mentioned that in the feedback that we got at 24-7. And deservedly, he, he subsequently won an Off West End uh, Award for his performance when the play was shown in London a couple of years later.
4: Excellent. Well, we'll talk to Joe in a moment, but um just want to talk a little bit about the period side of it. Of course the story itself could happen anytime anywhere couldn't it in a way um but obviously it's it set in this particular instance in the period where obama was going for his second term in office or it was going up to that period as it were so the history you know you, you were predicting what was going to happen in a way but you know history is it, it, we've evolved we've changed whatever um i mean could you see yourself setting it in the in the, in the trump era <laughs> I've talked
2: about this with somebody actually. Um, I was I was talking about it a couple of years ago. Um, it would need to change, um, and and I and I, I I would I think this time if I were setting it in the Trump era, I would probably make Daniels a Republican, but a tortured Republican on the sort of John McCain wing of the party, who is um, who is sort of severely compromised. I don't know if you remember a character who resigned from Trump's government some time ago, called Nikki Haley, who was a very powerful ambassador to the UN. And I thought, if I'm going to do it again, that's my Daniels. A mixed race... Powerful intellectual Republican who must be severely compromised by all of this which is going on. That's, that's, I think, how I would do it now. I mean, interestingly, when, when we first put it on in 2009, obviously the, the second two scenes were projections of the future. And, um, and I've always thought politics is quite cyclical you know. Um, and so I did think that the Republicans would win in 2016. And if you remember in the in the early drafts uh, of the play, um, I, I predicted, well, it wasn't a serious prediction, but I just projected the idea that we might be looking at the administration of President Sarah Palin. And people would say to me, that's ridiculous. Nobody as stupid and right-wing as so we'll ever get elected. But um, and and here we are. Um, it's it it is extraordinary. Uh, I thought at the time that there would probably be a sort of Tea Party backlash. I just didn't know how
0: big.
4: <laughs> Richard, thank thank you very much indeed. Now it's going to be we're going to be playing it out again on the distinct platform and um obviously you probably haven't heard it for a while um i don't know when how long ago you last you heard it kind of thing but obviously people will be hearing it for the first time um i mean without giving anything away you know you know what would you say to people who are listening to it for the first time what any any advice when it comes to listening to this piece it 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 it
2: it it is it is an experience and um i i think what i would say is it it is of interest to anybody who likes a thriller, it's written in the thriller format, um, and um, and so there is you know there there, there is a, a an intricate plot to follow, and um, and and I hope really um, detailed and complex characters to whose story you can connect with you don't have to have an interest in politics you don't have to have an interest in education I think you know you you just I think like to appreciate the thriller format and um and and enjoy pieces of intense drama with complex and well-drawn characters and and if if you enjoy that it should be for you
5: my name is Joe Sims, and I was lucky enough to play uh, Lee Fenton in As We Forgive Them.
4: Okay, well, we'll talk about the character in a moment, but let's go back a bit. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff since As We Forgive Them. I mean, you, you, you're everywhere, <laughs> quite literally these days. Uh, but we're talking about, what, over a decade ago now, aren't we? Just take us back yeah. to that period and your, your 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 world at that time and how important this getting this role was for you. It's a fantastic thing when I look back at on, on reflection
5: I always think that probably the most creatively brave things that I've ever been involved with are always the things that are done for the love of doing it, like you know a primal scream, like an urgency that's born out of somewhere, like a story that needs to be told and something needs to be said um, and when there's money involved, that can often kind of cloud the uh, uh like, you know, cloud people 's judgment or there's more people to get involved, and it gets watered down, um, but actually you know that that, that that sense of urgency always comes across when there 's only one voice one auteur i suppose uh, that says exactly what they want to say and knows exactly how to say it and when i read richard's uh um uh, like you know the, the the first draft of as we forgive them i was absolutely blown away and i knew that was something that i wanted to be part of and still to this day it's one of the things that i'm proudest of
4: uh, and so what was your world at the time were you doing bits of acting were you where, where were you what were you doing in your career at that particular point I was working in
5: a call centre at the time Um, and I worked all kinds of different jobs um, because that's another thing as well. I just feel like, you know, I was lucky enough, I suppose, at the time to be able to afford to live in London. I don't know how young people that are just starting off to get to do it now. I mean, you know, we were earning, I don't know. Between eight and £10 pound an hour. And I was still finding a way, I was knocking my pipe out, don't get me wrong. I was doing like a 40 hour a week and then, and then on the, like, you know, and then trying to go out for auditions, then just doing fringe and doing anything that I could get my hands, uh, like, you know, get, get my teeth stuck into. Um, but I was able to do that in a place where I could live for, I don't know, maybe like 400 quid a month. I just don't know where you're going to live in London for 400 quid a month. Where you are going to be able to get those jobs that can be able to put a roof over your head? And I, I worry for that as well, because especially in London, I just feel like. Like you know, things might just get a little bit. Yeah. Where would the people, where would the creative people go if they can't afford to be there? You know, huge swathes of working class people um, with with amazing voices that demand to be heard um, don't be given aren't able to be given the platform because they're not able to be able to afford to be given that platform to to to, to put stuff on on the fringe. How, how could that? How is that? How is that possible for so many people? So where do they go? Um, I, I, there might be boom time for other, uh, other parts of the UK, maybe more affordable places. Uh, and then all of a sudden it becomes migratory then, doesn't it? Because when I moved to East London, um, it was because, you no, know, disrespect to East London. It was a bit kind of, you know, like, you know, bit bit more kind of affordable I suppose and so as a result of that a lot of creative people moved in there because that was the only place they could afford to live there and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy but when creative people come there it becomes a hub of excitement and and, and like you know and, and, and lots of uh exciting things just popping up left right in Chelsea whether that be music whether that be theatre whether that be film whether that be tv whether that be fashion and then all of a sudden. Everybody else wants to follow its tail. So they want to go wherever creativity is. So maybe that's going to be a fantastic opportunity for other cities and towns across the
4: UK uh, that people can afford to live in. So let's go back to As We Forgive Them and the part of Lee Fenton. You're essentially playing um, what is in effect a killer or alleged killer, as it were. He's a man that's been sentenced to lifetime incarceration
5: for the murder of a congressman's daughter. And it takes place over three acts. Um and, and those those three acts are every four years. Um and so what we see uh is a a a, a very kind of Hmm. I think low intelligence is probably the wrong words but certainly somebody that hasn't been hasn't been given any opportunities in order to kind of develop his of uh, scholastic ability so he's unable to be able to, uh, uh, to to converse in a way that maybe he would want to or even know that he was entitled to or able to do um so what we're seeing is just kind of visceral reactions to uh, like you know to to the situations that he's been put into uh, in, like you know very kind of instinctive um visceral reactions and you just see this kind of feral character and 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 then, what will happen when you're able to kind of give that person a platform, a voice, and education uh, to be able to articulate uh, that 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 feeling, uh, those feelings that have been burning inside him for so long? And those kind of parts, I think, are a gift, isn't it, for an actor? It's the thing that you always wanted to do, and also just shines a light on. We we see at the moment so many people um, that are not afforded that opportunity um, from low-income families or just cast asunder, not just in the US, but in the UK. And so the parallels were there at the time,
4: and they're even more pronounced now. So how did you get in your mindset, into the mind of Lee Fenton? I've seen this uh, being performed. In fact, it was recorded in my home, and I watched you doing it and very much believed that you were that person. How did you get into the skin of that character?
5: Do you know what? i think it's important that you always have to be your own hero no matter how uh morally abhorrent you think that like you know that your your character's uh behavior might be as me joe sims the person i need to try and find a way to find a, 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 a way for lee to be able to allow himself to get away with that kind of behavior or the, or the behavior that he's been accused of or uh a, anything that he may or may not have done and as we like you know we all know people they have done far less, but like in real life, I don't know, they might have like, been unfaithful or they might have treated someone poorly or they might have done something. And we all justify our own bad behaviours in lots of different ways. Um, and, and, and so Lee Fenton is absolutely you no know, different. Um, there are, you know, as the story unfolds, you can see that sometimes things happen there those kind of sliding doors moments where I guess historically we always look at those sliding door moments for moments of uh, um, uh, beautiful things that happen to us as individuals, you know, where like, you know, if I wouldn't have met my girlfriend, I wouldn't have been in a bar at that certain time, I wouldn't have met her, I wouldn't have gone like run off and had a really lovely life together. But conversely, there are those kind of Horrible little moments, just lot lots of insignificant moments that actually one on top of the other, on top of the other, but gets a situation that's just beyond people's control. So I think that if you can compartmentalize those those little things, you can go, well, that wasn't my fault. That wasn't my fault. And this led to that. That wasn't my fault. Then it becomes a barman fight or it becomes a misunderstanding. So you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so maybe it was easy for Lee to kind of justify his his own behaviour. Um, but that's, uh, that, that's 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 saying that you did murder someone and uh, there's a very good
4: chance that you may not have. You'll have to listen to find out. Absolutely. Well, what was interesting about the way you played it is that there are bits where you have a reasonable amount of dialogue, but there are other bits where you don't say much at all. Uh, there's as much in those little bits, I think, as there is in the large chunks of dialogue. Um, so this part really isn't just about the speech, is it? And the dialogue it was quite a visual piece originally um on stage wasn't it i think the lee
5: fenton is thirsty and he doesn't even know it i mean when he gets given the tools to become more eloquent to become more able to be able given those tools to be able to to take on board this this information that he's been given then he's able to then willfully manipulate him he's a he's an, a master manipulator and just didn't know it actually what like you know, what happens is he is imbued with with tools to become Way more dangerous than he ever could possibly have been if you'd have been, if you'd have found him in the first act, even though, like, you know, to a lot of people, you might have found him more distasteful in the first act than you did in the third. Um, my contention would be that he is far more of a frightening proposition at the end of the show than he ever could have been at the start. I think, uh, like, you know, I, I think in the, because, because, like I say, like, he's thirsty. He, he when, when Daniels is speaking to him, He's kind of feeding on that. That these are bits of information he's using and drinking in, and 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 it's a very very deep well um, that is empty at the start and is absolutely full to bursting by the end. Uh, and Daniel's is providing with all of that. So he's sat there and he's listening, he's drinking it all in because he's got nothing else to do. Actually, he's got that those four walls and that one person, um, and that person is absolutely filling him up. So uh, it it becomes quite exciting. And the moral ambiguity of it, I find to be the the gift of the piece and. That that is testament to Richard's extraordinary writing because it reminds me a little bit. I don't know if anyone's seen David Mamet's oliana and every time you watch oliana uh, you back and forth and just go, oh, "Okay, you can see it from both per- people's point of view, arguably, and depend on the director, depending on the actors and stuff like that." Then you can, yeah, you, you, know, you can lean left and right, and so that, that the moral ambiguities of both ca- like, in, in both characters are fantastic to play with. And um, and and you and you can see that, like you know, Daniels is by no stretch of the imagination the hero of the piece, and neither is Lee Fenton. And actually, neither are any of us. You know, we are fallible human beings, capable of extraordinary things, but capable of 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 of, like you know, like you know, massive amounts of destruction and nastiness. And as we can see, borne out in the world at the moment. We each of us have to make a choice between love and respect and dignity uh, or or the politics of hate and fear and animosity. And whether we choose to fan those flames or whether we choose to love harder and listen more.
4: Well, as I say, having watched this on stage and also listened to the radio version, you do end up caring about Lee as a character. He could be one dimensional, but um, he definitely isn't one dimensional. Uh, and that's down to you, I think, really. So just finally then we touched on this with richard earlier what do you think is the relevance of this piece now
5: it's horrifyingly relevant unfortunately we're looking at i mean it was interesting to hear richard talking about um you know a, a rewrite or whatever and then just talking about uh, maybe a republican senator a mixed race republican senator um or uh, like you know and uh, that there are people in the us that have been uh, incarcerated uh for trivial crimes meaningless crimes uh and are just in there in perpetuity um and i'm not saying that like you know that leaves there for that reason but in actual fact when you strip all those kind of things back you know you think that there's that there's obviously going to be a, like you know a certain sort of demographic of people that are going to be more likely to find themselves uh like you know incarcerated in the united states than, than 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 other people um and they're stripped of that education it's a worry for me that in the uk um what we're seeing is a two-tier education system because actually if you're able to be educated then you're able to mobilize you'll be able to stand up against the inequities of the world and the inequities of your own situation and so that's what we want to be trying to do we want to be trying to empower people all people um to be able to be aware of the inequities um of the world and, and and be able to kind of stand shoulder to shoulder to be able to overcome it and that for me is 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 one of the um incredible uh, um virtues of the piece and uh I would be interested because like you were saying we haven't heard it for a little while now it would be lovely to revisit it I would love to see it um with a different senator I would love to see it with a different Lee Fenton and like to see like a few rewrites to to, to bring it up to modern uh, like you know to 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 present times um because I still think it would be absolutely incendiary theater So go ahead and write it, Richard.
4: And this is the final question. You've done lots of things since, as we forgive them. You know, broad church, crime dramas, all sorts of things. Did this play help you with some of the things that you tackled afterwards?
5: as I said before Lee Fenton gets the draw from such a rich whale, uh, whale and the beauty of theatre is just to be able to play in rehearsal you know to, to have a month to be able to really kind of mine uh, the, the, that, that character for all that it's worth and then of course you find it in front of live audiences like you know night after night after night and you've got this kind of that insatiable appetite to go back on and do it again She so you find something else you're like okay and this leads to this and this leads to this you never stop learning I mean I, I feel like you know like Life is, uh, everything's a lifelong apprenticeship. We want to be better tomorrow than we were today. Um, And I think that's particularly true of theatre as well, because I think if I'd have carried on playing Lee until present day, you're always finding something. uh, You're always learning something. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, does that lead on to uh, informing other kind of character choices I've made subsequent to As We Forgive Them? Undoubtedly, I owe a lot to As We Forgive Them. Um, I think it was a, a, a privilege to play Lee Fenton, and uh, I think I'm probably a little bit too old for it now, sadly. But uh, I hope somebody else gets to do it because, uh, like, yeah, because it will be the start of some very, very big things for that actor what do
4: you mean you're too old you haven't changed a bit <laughs> <laughs>
5: i've got i've got the same airline is, is, is about it but uh yeah unfortunately uh i think that that might that might have passed I know. i wonder whether i've got a senator in me maybe maybe i'll get to move to be daniels one day as we forgive them was a made in manchester dark smile co-production in association with ensemble 52 it was a distinct drama presentation
0: And if you enjoyed listening to As We Forgive Them, don't forget to subscribe to Distinct Drama wherever you get your podcasts, where more new dramas will be released in coming weeks and months.